Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. On SAFM. Lawyers representing controversial Dr. Ramdin accused of masquerading as a gynecologist poked, poked holes in the health authority's case and alleged that officials had bungled the process. Recently, the precautionary suspension hearing before an ad hoc committee that was set up at the council had to be halted and the matter referred back to the Health Professions Council for a way forward. Now that the complainant's family and friends fear they may not see justice and Ramden himself, who has repeatedly appeared before the same body, the council, could continue to practice. Well, a carte blanche investigation revealed that the good doctor, a general practitioner, masqueraded as a gynecologist and allegedly duped and misdiagnosed patients. To date, he has faced more than 300 counts of fraud relating to medical schemes and other government compensation fund. He was at some point found guilty of professional misconduct and suspended from the Health Professions Council of South Africa on its register certainly three times. Whichever way one looks at it, I suppose, Dr. Letlape, this is not good for the profession. This is certainly not good for the council. And something has to be done. Something has to give as it pertains to Dr. Ramden. Good evening. Thank you for joining us. Ah, Dr. Lechapa just recently got cut off. Anyway, I'll just read a couple of messages that are here for me to read in the hope that we can reconnect with Dr. Lechapa. I'll repeat the question for clarity's sake then. For me, patriarchy in a capitalist society is intertwined with class identity. A classless society inevitably must usher in gender equality and automatically do away with cultural and traditional nuances. With these crooks and looters of ours in leadership, they will, and they already abusing technology, having captured more than half of our constitutional institutions, even long after they've left or pushed the state apparatus. Second one, kindly get Durban Mayor Mr. Kawunda so that he can explain what is going on because since December last year people of Unduzuma have been experiencing serious water shortages. Water only becomes available on the last weekend of every month then people would have to walk long distances to fetch the water and most of us started to fetch from stream and this is a very serious matter if you consider the COVID-19. That's why it's immensely important for the mayor to explain what is going on. Certainly, the producers have heard that, and I have no doubt they will get on to it. But back to the story, Health on Monday, 2112. Dr. Litlape, welcome. This is the question that I wish to pose to you. Everything about this case cannot be good for, at large, the profession of medical practitioners, the council and its ability to rein its members in, or to screen its members, as the case may be, and more particularly, Dr. Ramdin himself. He is prejudiced for the good, for the bad, by how these things are happening. And all of it is not good for me, potentially a patient and a consumer of healthcare services. If this can happen to one, how many is it not happening to? Yes, uh, good evening to you and good evening to the listeners. I think this is a major problem. And it is something that we have battled with. And it's one of the few things, probably the only thing that we haven't been able to get on top of, the issue of uh, management of complaints. And the biggest problem is a structural problem, and the secretariat cannot cope with what is expected of them. And I think the biggest problem is what was identified by the ministerial tax team that was chaired by the late 
Professor Bongali Mayosi. The span of control is too big, and as such, there's no accountability and no supervision. And unless agent structural reforms are done, this problem is going to get worse. So essentially what you have said, and I've understood you correctly, and I hope I have, is there's confirmation or some admission coming from the Health Professions Council. And I'm saying from the Health Professions Council, even though you are no longer the chairperson thereof, that it has institutional incapacity or shortages in terms of resources or whatever it is required to have for the purposes of ensuring that its members, the practitioners, meet the highest possible ethical standards that are required of them in the light of the rules and regulations that apply to the council? I, I think the, co- the the problem is slightly complex. In terms of training, in terms of institutional requirements and requirements to be met, to be licensed, we're doing a fairly good job. But in terms of dealing with complaints and following up with a few people that fall through the cracks, we can do much better. And we need to create a separate independent structure that deals with the complaints, that is sufficiently resourced, that also has a person at the helm whose sole responsibility is dealing with complaints. Not someone that has the span of control where you do deal with all matters pertaining to nearly 30 professions across 12 boards. And that is the problem. Remember, for all these professionals that are under 12 boards, from psychiatrists to psychologists to optometrists to dental therapists to, you know, physiotherapists, this is the common structure and the common secretariat that deals with those problems. And as we have more aware patients, there will be more complaints. It does not necessarily mean that the quality of care is deteriorating, but the two might be concurrent. You then need proper capacity to deal with these problems properly. We have a regulatory framework that prescribes certain things that should help us in terms of how we deal with this complaint. You know, unlike the court systems, there are things that are prescribed that in a practitioner needs to answer in 40 days, how you constitute a committee, and, and it's about institutional capacity to be able to do as we're supposed to do. There are issues of backlog that are a problem, but there's a fundamental structural realignment that needs to occur for us to be able to get on top of these problems. And just to put it in a nutshell, if the minister of the time that received the ministerial testing report in 2015 had acted on those recommendations, all of them, we would be in a different place now. The other issues that were recommended have been dealt with properly by the previous council. But the one of the structural anomalies, the scope of work, and that we need to, stru- to do structural readjustment is the one that has not been dealt with. This is what recommendation five, which basically said you need to unbundle. If I give you an analogy, remember we have this challenge.
challenges with the supply of electricity. And the president has announced that, you know, we all know that ESCOM is too important to fail. But it's too big structurally to be successful. So it needs to be carved up into small components. A similar thing was observed by the ministerial testing in terms of health, the health professions concern. And that aspect needs to be looked into and implemented as a matter of agency. Otherwise, these problems will never be resolved. Mm, I'm reluctant to use ESCOM as any example in relation to my health. But, I mean, I, I, I accept that there are two issues at play. First of all, it's the complaints handling unit that needs the necessary capacitation that has to happen for the purposes of being in a position then to handle its complaints properly, procedurally, with effective outcomes. But those structural realignments to which you refer, what are they? And, and, and from what I've heard, I think one of the major ones is critical in the complaints handling unit. I mean, you, you have to almost sort it out at the complaints handling unit phase in terms of making sure that within the compartments or the categories of healthcare and related practitioners and practices, you've got, even if there are old persons who are there, rendering that service and in the absence of that you almost render the entire unit somewhat sterile well the, the, there are two things that i'd like us to separate one of the recommend the, the, the recommendation that i'm referring to from the ministerial testing was about unbundling that the medical and dental board should be a structure on its own remember the current setup that you have is you have 11, 12 boards and you have a council basically you have 13 companies and all of them have one CEO, the registrar. That registrar, in addition to running the normal business of the 13 companies, with respect to matters of education, matters of curricula, matters of registration of the profession, matters of continuing professional development of the profession, also, on, on top of all those educational responsibilities and training responsibilities and ensuring that the qualifications are proper, the scopes are well-defined, there's then the added duty of dealing with complaints. So irrespective, so there are two things that I'm saying. That issue of unbundling, as we might refer to, mm. needs to be considered urgently. But beyond the issue of unbundling, even before you unbundle or concurrent with the unbundling, complaints management has to be a separate independent entity that has its own head, not the registrar heading all these other functions and also heading complaints. That's a recipe for disaster. That's what has happened over the last few years. Remember before, the structures were smaller, the size of the healthcare professionals were much smaller. That was a different ballgame. I'll give you an example. The nursing council has its own cancer. Pharmacy. With less pharmacists than the people registered with the medical and dental board, which is one of 12 boards, has its own council, has its own disciplinary measures. And it's functioning far better than the HPCSA in many respects. So we, people must understand that the particular problem that we have had difficulty resolving, that continues, that is illustrated by the case that you are demonstrating, 
is how we manage complaints. But this is a critical area to ensure that the public gets protected, but the profession also gets guided so that we avoid people taking matters into their own hands and the police and the NPA meddling in professional matters, professional acts, and professional misdemeanors. All right, let me interrupt you there, Dr. Letlape, because I do have two calls coming through. I have Colin in Cape Town first, Romeo in KZN second. Colin? Good evening, Zagazer. Mm. I'm quite surprised to hear what I've been hearing now about the limit, the gynecologist or whatever it is. Zagazer, um, I would like to ask your guest, Um, if one goes to a doctor or a dentist or orthodontist, whatever it is, or a therapist or something like that, and you got a medical aid or something like that, and uh, they ask you to pay up cash, is that a red flag? If you go to an ordinary practitioner doctor and he's got your file or something like that and he says, well, pay me cash, is that a red flag? Because the medical aides should be able to have a registration number, a practice number of every single doctor in our country, whether we pay him out or not, if he's registered or not. So can we alleviate um, the people going to a practitioner and just paying cash? Uh, give me uh, 400 rand cool of the day. Now, that could be a red flag for unregistered um, doctors and bogus doctors and things like that. Can I listen on radio? Thank you so much. Much appreciated, Colin. Let's move on. Romeo, KZN. Good evening to you, my brother, and it's your guest. How are you, both of you? Well, well, well. Go for it. Okay. I I'm intend to ask the question of uh, bogus doctors. I wanted to understand that uh, for someone to become a bogus a doctor and uh, for a very long time playing with the human life, it does uh, the doctors have got a council? Uh, don't you have a body that always from time to time check to see that these are the really doctors that are registered? Or can't you have some form of inspectors that goes around because considering the fact of having the bogus doctors, I mean, I think it, it partly it kills our standard of education and the trust uh, within the, the 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 international community. It would end up like that. South Africa they are producing bogus doctors, and I'm I'm suggesting this for the sense that. Even those who are coming outside from other countries, maybe from uh, within Africa, um, if we have got a board, and that would make sure that we have got the quality and the real people who are supposed to be the exactly doctors, Fantastic. and we cannot have any problem. Thank you very much. Certainly, thank you so much, Doctor Letlapa. You want to respond first to Colin about how to spot red flags, and so far as it relates to those who only operate on a cash-only basis, and then the body that regulates bogus doctors, health inspectors, potentially. 
I, I think both questions are important questions, but they would each of them would require a complete session with you on your own. Synthesize. But I'll just put a summary. The issue about payment and red flags, yes, there should be red flags. But the red flags is about the fact that the medical aid system is not working. If you go back to pre-94, when people had a medical aid, there was a law associated, which was part of the Medical Schemes Act, that said a person that has a medical aid, the medical aid should assure them that they're going to get the care that they need. So medical care would be guaranteed. But it also said that any practitioner that is working within the rates prescribed by the medical aid, payment to that practitioner should be guaranteed. Now, those two things have been done away in the modern era. You're on medical aid, but you don't know what you covered for, and your needs are not guaranteed. You are a doctor. You see a patient that has a medical aid. Payment is not guaranteed. A lot of doctors have gone bankrupt for having proper uh, offered services ethically and have not been paid. You've just had the current commission that has come out where medical aid have been racially profiling black practitioners. Because you see what happens is that white practitioners are in a position where most of their communities that they serve can afford to pay them out of pocket. So it's fairly simple. You pay the doctor, they give you the proper documentation, and it's your problem and your arrangement with your medical aid. Since payment is not guaranteed and care is also not guaranteed, they are also safeguarding themselves from being professionals so that nobody tells them how to treat. That was that never saw the door of a healthcare institution, but wants to tell a healthcare professional what they can or cannot do when they're supposed to be professional autonomy. So well, that is the red flag in, t- in terms of payment. Medical aid now are just businesses for the administrators and their service providers. They yeah, we know that are much. not worth the money that we pay into them because care is not guaranteed to the member and payment is not guaranteed to the provider. That's the red flag. Bogus doctors? On the issue of bogus doctors, and, and how they can issue. be regulated yep. through an independent body. You know, the, the, the regulation is there. The independent body is there. What might be lacking is raising public awareness about the fact that if you are suspicious, report it to cancer. If you go and see a practitioner, it becomes your duty to verify that that practitioner is on the registrar, that practitioner is legit, that black practitioner has paid their dues. So if we had the practice commonly of saying, if I'm going, if I use this doctor, it is my duty to check that this doctor is legit. Just like if you're going to build a house, if you're going to contract with someone, there's a body, national body of builders thing. So you want to know if this construction company is registered there. So there's an information asymmetry clearly. Well, there's an information asymmetry, but there's also uh, non-vigilance from the public. Mm. You know, mm. I True. can't just presume that because you say you are a doctor, you are what you say Therefore, you accept. are. Yes. And the mechanisms are there for us to verify. You get onto the website, you know, the doctor must have a registration number from the council. The doctor must have a practice number from the Board of Healthcare Funders. And you take the, regi- you go onto the HPCSA website 
or the nursing council website or the pharmacy council website or the dental technicians council website to verify whether this practitioner is legit. In emergencies, none of that is possible, though. Well, the point is, in emergencies, most people go to emergency rooms. And those are hospitals, those are institutions. And those institutions will have vetted the people that work in their place. That's an assumption, though. Uh, It's not an assumption. It is. Uh, But the point is, if you're going to an emergency healthcare facility, Mm. there are some things that should have happened. You're correct to say there's an assumption. But it's different from my own practice. Nobody has vetted me. You then have to go to council to verify that I'm legit. But if you go to an emergency facility, that emergency facility would be registered and you have post the emergency. If there's any issues where you are suspicious, you can then vet whether this facility is legit. But for most people, you'll go to an emergency facility that you know exists. If you uh, have called the emergency services, they will go to facilities that they have been to before. They know that those exist. So there are certain safeties in terms of emergency services that are in there. But it does not mean because there are safeties, it is not subject to verification. No, fair, fair enough. That's a good point. No, I do accept that. Doc, thank you so much then for your time. I literally have one minute, so you might probably just want to say one or two things. And I mean one or two things in 30 seconds or so. I, so, I think the two things that uh, I would like to say is that people must understand that the South African environment produces well-trained healthcare professionals mm-hmm. that are being sought after in the world that are being pushed. Big time. The major problem that we have in terms of registration and you have bogus doctors is for people that have qualified outside South Africa, including South Africans that have qualified from elsewhere. There's a stringent process of vetting those and verifying those. It takes time. Sometimes people become impatient or people don't meet the requirements and they go and practice on the sly. And sometimes they go and they are hired by legit doctors that want to expand their capacity to serve. So it's a complex problem and that would require a full-time engagement with you. So we can talk about funding. We can talk about I got you, Doc. in the future as separate topics. I got you, Doc. And you know how to make sure that you keep coming back because everything you say obviously is a good teaser for us to want to bring you back. So certainly the producers are well aware of that. And I've just, with that comment, made it a point that indeed we follow up with you to come back. Of course, you know, yeah, you're I, more I, I than welcome. Before you go, just understand that the only way <laughs> we can address the asymmetry of information yes. is through the opportunities that you and your teams give us to engage with you and engage with the public. Beautiful. We appreciate this comment and we certainly will take you up on that. It is important. And for those who have been listening for the last couple of weeks, you probably would have ringing in your ears the voice of Dr. Ntutu Kopengu who spoke about health being a human right and the fact that you have obligations. You must take your health seriously to bridge the information asymmetry gap. That was then, folks, The Viewpoint.